Welcome to Thinking Edge with Ed Boudreau. I couldn't be more grateful today to be here with Charlie Gilkey, founder, author, speaker, business strategist, podcaster, just an incredible person. Charlie, you have to tell me about your t-shirt. Well, um, a lot of people attribute the statement good trouble to John Lewis these days. The late John Lewis congressman was the one who walked across the Selma Bridge during the civil rights movement. And I love his message and his life. And I also think when we think about good trouble, we think about politics and we think about making community change happen. Mm. But I want us to be thinking about how can we make good trouble at work so that we make work better because all too often we just accept a status quo at work that's not working for most of us. And so we need to, and we can apply that same personal courage that we might think about in some of these other spheres to work itself. So we, you know, all end up working better together. I love that. And, you know, I know you have a forthcoming book here shortly, Workways, and it fits right in with that, how we work, how do we form courage to actually change? What are some of the biggest barriers you see in in work today? Well, um, let's roll back a little bit because I think last March with COVID really (laughs) illuminated a lot of things for us. So let's talk about workways. Workways are those tacit team habits and behaviors that we generate as a team. Sometimes they are in our SOPs and sometimes they're in our sort of corporate documentation about how we do things. But honestly, about 80% of them are just things we unconsciously agree to do with each other. And the thing about it, Ed, is when you really look at what's going on for most people and most teams, it's not their four to eight teammates that they don't like or that are causing them trouble. It's actually the workways, how they work with each other that's causing the frustration and the like what's going on. And so, you know, for me talking about workways helps explain how we can love the people we're working with, really enjoy the people we're working with and not like working with them. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, And so There are seven different categories of workways. We don't necessarily go into them, but think of things like communication workways and belonging and meeting workways and meeting workways, right? Of of sort of buckets of workways that when COVID hit, basically all of them got turned upside down at once, right? It's not just that digital technology came on and changed the way that we met in a way. It's like, we can't get each other coffee anymore, right? We can't pop over and see how someone's doing in the same way. Those are belonging and meeting workways, right? Right. We don't know how to hand over a task to someone else because we used to yell across the office and say, hey, what's going on? How do we do that now? Is that Slack? Is that in this task management system? Like what's going on? So it just took everything and dumped it over. And there we were trying to figure out how to do everything at once anew. This type of thing only happens, you know, once in a generation or two, right? As far as I'm concerned, like it didn't really happen with the rise of computers because we were able to sort of add things as we went along. In fact, we still are. Last time something major happened like this was actually World War II when, especially in the United States, when so many American men went off to fight in a war and it changed society where women ended up in factories and that changed so many different things. We still in some ways reeling from that. COVID was one of those things, just dumped them all over. So what I'm seeing out in the field is senior leaders and managers and individual contributors, like figuring out on the fly, 
how, how are we going to get this done in a way that's not just staring at a screen all day and burning each other out? Right. So, you know, I know what my, my day looks like, my week, my month. So my, my day is stacked with meetings. Generally, they're an hour long. Sometimes they're triple stacked. Today, I was back to back with no breaks. So my, my work way is broken. And, you know, much, much like you, you were describing, sometimes my work is remote and sometimes my work is in the office. And then when I'm in the office, there's so much more creative energy around ideas because I'm an idea person. I love ideas, ideal and ideas, that type of thing. But so much of that is, is lost. But between all the meetings, remote, office, not being able to be with people, my workways are broken. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would say in that case, your collaboration and communication workways are broken. Mm. Right. But I would also say in that scenario is there's a lot of belonging and meaning that comes from that too. Right. Of being able to jump off a team and be, I had this great conversation. So I'm like, great job. And all those little things that make us human and make us happy are also not in there as well. Right. So absolutely. That's what I would be saying. Like if we're looking at you as a microcosm, what are those workways? And I want to be specific here, though I've talked about categories just to help us get our arms around them. Yep. These are micro things. These right. are just like something as small as I, I mentioned getting each other, getting someone coffee. Like we don't realize that underneath that simple act is us saying, we see you, like I want to take care of you. I was thinking about you. How is your day? There's all, there's a lot of stuff going around in that cup, right? Besides right. coffee. Right. Right. And so for you, it's like, how do you schedule those times in your day where you have a collaboration partner where you're just like, hey, I got off a meeting and this happened. And it's not about getting something done. It's actually about you helping you make your previous meeting coherent and make sense of it and share that excitement. Right. I know there's a lot of buzz around folks being remote. Companies are actually seeing a higher productivity but I would say that productivity comes at a cost, right? What, you know, when you think about the, the cost factors in a way, it's, you know, a cost might be empathy is decreased in your, your coffee example, which is super important for humans to make that bond and that connection. What are the things do you think are, are lost in the higher productivity? What cost does it come at? Yeah, so Ed, I might get in trouble here. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons- Good, good trouble. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons productivity is up is because digital tools are um, having people work longer days than they did before. So let's go back to the before times, right? There's a time in the day, now depending upon your company culture, that time may change, but there's enough cues around you that's like, it's time to go home. And when you go home, you can shut things down, right? Those cues, especially for remote workers are now gone. Like you have to decide you're done for today. But let's be real. During that day, you probably did some laundry and you probably did some things around the house. So you've also got this mentality like I need to make up for the time I took out yesterday. And what we're seeing through burnout, Ed, is that so many people are stretching that work that used to be, say, five. They're stretching in the 630, 730, right, at night. And the cost that many workers are seeing is not necessarily on the business side but in their personal relationships, in their health, in their well-being, that's where a lot of the costs are coming from. But then as we start thinking about team action, you're right, empathy, 
belonging, having a sense that you're, you know, you're part of a team. Like, look, I've been teaching about remote work since at least 2010, 2011. And the way I've described it to people who are new to working it is like, look, it's like we're playing football, except for we can't see each other, right? If I throw something, I've got to tell you that I threw it. And when you catch it, you have to tell me that you caught it, right? right. And if you run a certain distance, you have to tell me that. We used to just be able to see that without communicating about it, right? right. And so with the busted workways that we have right now, what I'm seeing is a lot of people feel like they're working and pushing things forward but it doesn't feel like they're playing on the same field with their team anymore. Right. right. And there's a difference. There's that belonging meaning that energetic difference between doing your work on your own and feeling like you're doing work as a part of a team that you want to be a part of. Right. That makes sense. One of the things I think deeply about as well is the cost side of having all these, all these factors, but on the other side, there's the concept of, of flow Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're doing your best work individually, but you could be doing your best work as a team as well. And the, I would say the outcome, not the output, the outcome is much greater. And have, having the right workways leads potentially to that flow state that you are performing and, and delivering that incredible outcomes as an individual or as a team. How do you think about that, Charlie? Um, I agree. And for me, it comes down to, and I need to pause here and say, I'm very much a structuralist when it comes to some of the stuff. Like it's very good for us to talk about concepts and principles. I'm all about that. But at a certain point, we as a team, we as managers, we as leaders need to put the structure in place so that we can actually be held by those structures and do the principles as opposed to making individuals always create those themselves. So let's talk about flow. One of the reasons many people fall out of flow or can't get into flow is because of their schedule and specifically the way their company schedules meetings in the sense of they have open time, but people can steal that open time, right? And so what that means is at any given moment where you're sinking into that flow pocket, there's a part of you wondering, did someone just grab a meeting with me? Like, do I need to be paying attention over there? You're out of flow. You're done, right? You can't say I show up at nine. I have this block on my calendar that's like, you know, focus block or whatever you're doing until 1130. And you know, you have until 1130 to sink in that pocket and make it happen. Somewhere along the way, again, someone chose that as a workway. We agreed that that's just how we do things. And at a, you know, it's one of those things as I talk to senior leadership teams, I'll pick another workway real quick and come back to this. I talk about the dreaded reply all sort of the CC, the CC thread where everybody knows what's everything's going on. And I'm in rooms and I'm, I ask like who, which of you decided that this was the way we did things, right? No one decided which of you loves that this is how we do things. No one loves it. So I'm like, you didn't decide and you don't like it. And yet you're the senior leadership team and you continue to do it, which means everyone else does it too, because I think they have to. We could, in this room, decide we're done with the CC threats, right? You get to CC no more than three people. And if you have to do more than that, or you could pick a number, or you could do all sorts of things rather than just deal with the status quo of, you know, 17 CC threads that you have to figure out what is relevant for you, but you can't not pay attention to it. 
it's those types of background anxieties that we put in with our workways that are also interrupting flow because what if there's that cc email that some person i don't actually work with sent that's telling me about some event that i don't really need to be at but if i miss it then i'm going to be in trouble it is incredibly hard to sink into a flow pocket with that right right just like my schedule so it comes back to like look y'all we can make different decisions about the way we work with each other and what i want to say here ed is a common question i get is well can we get senior leadership to sort of change some of these workways for us can we say like that we don't have to do that anymore and while top down fiat sort of change management works it's not necessary actually turns out we spend most of us spend about 80, 85% of our time with four to eight people that are our close team. That's our team. The, the organization is the organization. We might be a part of a work group or a department, business unit, whatever, but it's four to eight people. In that group, we have a lot that we can do. We have a lot of good trouble we can get into. We can designate to say, you know what? Maya is covering communications for today. She's going to let the rest of us know if the CC thread dictates that we need to pay attention and she will let us know in a way that we've agreed to that we need to do something. So the rest of us can focus on the work for the day. You know what? Tomorrow, Ed will cover for Maya. Great. That's something you can decide to do as a team. You don't need senior leadership. You don't need a gung-ho manager. You don't need any of that. You just need to be able to show up and say, hey, how are we going to work better together? Let's try it. Right. So I, I want to slide that in there because I know when we talk about things like this, especially systemic workways, the first thing that we think is, well, we need senior leadership buy-in. We need a management focus and nothing wrong with senior leaders. You know, I do a lot of work with them, but how many times have senior leaders designed something that's actually worked for us down the line? Right. Right. Um, as opposed to us looking and saying, you know what, we all work remotely. Maya's really good at letting us know what's going on and summarizing what we need to know for the day. Like, can we buy her coffee and like, let, let her or ask her to do that so we can do this or what can we create together that works for all of us in this small cell? Right. And what happens at time and time again is once your team starts excelling, people notice like, what are you guys doing over there? How are you all on top of things? You always hit your numbers. You're innovative. You're having fun. As we're walking around, you're the only team that's smiling. What is going on over there? And then you say, hey, here's what we're doing. And then people are like, oh, we can do that. It's like, clearly we can do it. We've been doing it, right? And so we don't have to think in top-down change. We can think in just like 3% changes of the organization that start to have a ripple effect across the entire team and entire, across the entire you know, department and then the organization at large. I love that. That's amazing. And I love the idea around creating structures, making key decisions as, as a team, right, from the ground up, so to speak, and, and instituting that change. And, and it could be very small. It could be micro decisions that you're making around, hey, let's stop CCing 50 people. Let's keep it low, keep it to three maximum, and, and that should be enough. What are some of the macro things when you think about workways? You know, an example might be, I actually take one day a month and I clear my whole calendar and it's my creative day where I'm researching, you know, new methods or 
talking to people that I haven't, you know, spoken with before, but clearing almost a whole day, which people think is impossible, but I do it and I make sure I do it proactively. What are some of the macro things that we can do? Yeah. So um, the category of workways you just talked on is personal effectiveness, cool. right? And then it's how we work within the system and make the system better, right? And understanding that that's a personal thing, because I can tell you, Ed, that might work great for you, mm. but there's a social processor out there that actually needs to have that day be a day full of meetings where they're talking to their colleagues and making sense of it. They don't need that solo time, yeah. but they need that time, right? And so it's up to them to sort of figure out like, hey, that day, rather than having it be a solo deep work day, I need it to be a deep connection day and I'm going to line it up. And so, again, I think that's a great sort of thing. It's kind of like if I got to choose three things that I wish all organizations would stop doing <laughs> or would start doing. Yeah. One, oh, if I could ban it, is emails and communications that end with essentially thoughts, question mark. Mm. Right. I did a thing. Thoughts? <laughs> I can't. Like, I need to figure out what question I think you're asking and then answer that question in a way that I think and that will work for you. Like, that is way too much work to put on each other. Right. Right. And so instead of something like that, a specific question, I made a thing. I'm not sure that this piece of this works because of X. Do you agree? What's your take on that piece? A little bit more specificity, useful specificity goes a long way. Two, I wish all teams would invoke a no meeting day. Just pick a day. Don't care. Right. Thursday, Wednesday, look at your team op tempo and say that day we don't have any meetings with each other. You can settle into that pocket and you all can jointly determine what that day would be. The third thing would be getting rid of the if I have open time, you can schedule it sort of thing. Right. Those would be three quick wins that I would go a long way. And why those? Well, the first one is so that we lower the cognitive load that we're putting on our teammates. Right. If you think a CC thread, well, that would be the fourth one. If you think those, those CC threads are, are terrible, what about CC threads that end in thoughts to 50 people? Come on. That's a lot of cognitive load to put on everybody else, right? Right. Because you didn't take an additional three minutes to figure out what your question was. So that's part of it. And that's that belonging and meeting. And how are we taking better care of each other? Right. Um, the no meetings things. I know I've been picking on meetings a lot, but I think many people feel the stress of they've got to get all this productive work done, this solo work done. But when they look at their schedule, there's no room for them to do that. And I think it's fundamentally inhumane because what happens is, they take that work home with them on evenings and weekends because their job depends upon them doing that, but there's no time at work to do that. So I wanted to slow down there because I, I know none of us in like mean for these to be the consequences of our workways that aren't working for us, but they are the real consequences of those workways and things again, that we can decide. We can decide as a team, okay, Friday is your flex day, meaning you get to feel and finish whatever work you need to do so you don't have to take it home because I know, you know, it's hunting season or I know it's, you know, softball season and you're going to want to do that as opposed to having to do work at home. Ed, I'm not sure if I answered the question in the way you wanted me to on that one, but. You did actually, and I'm, I'm taking deep notes here and the deep notes are four pieces of advice are your methods or your micro 
methods could be thoughts, question mark. It's actually thinking about cognitive load that you're placing on other people. And if it's, you know, one to many, and you're actually creating that cognitive load, that reduces your ability to, to get into that highly true productive state where most people want to be, they want to have meaningful work and they want to be highly productive and they want to do cool things and they want to change the world. So it enables the time for, for that. And the, the no meeting day takes burden off of the whole team, right? Whether it's four to eight people or, or more than that to say, you know, we do have time blocked out for that work, but I think you had an added statement there around if it's hunting season or you want to go take a walk in the woods i think they call that a uh, nature bath or something like that it's about Mm self-care right it's a balance of being productive while you're at work but taking that time to go what you need to do to to come back to work restored and and rested and and you know revived and then blocking time so if i have open time take it it should be the inverse I'm going to block my time such that I can be, you know, doing my, my best work. And then I'll enable specific time if we need to be collaborative, opening that up to someone for meaningful work together type of thing, or just like you said, being happy together, you know, getting that cup of coffee. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that summary there. That That's right on point. It's always thinking what are both the intended and unintended consequences of some of these workways, Right. right? And I know the pushback that I get about say no meeting days is, you know, especially from senior leaders, like, but what if, what if something happens and we really need to get people's attention? We can't do that. I'm like, if it's an emergency, most people will understand this is an emergency. Like this is a thing, but if every week there's an emergency, guess what? It's not an emergency. It's day-to-day business, right? right? And you really need to think about what's creating this urgency and emergency state all the time. And the anxiety toll that that's having on your teams And like, it's hard for that to be, it's hard for people to live in a state of emergency all the time and then do the high level work that we want them to do Um, because we've essentially made the corporate version of emergency responders. Right. Right. Um, And that's okay, but just understand that you can't have that and people that are pursuing three to five year strategic agendas at the same time. Right. Charlie, I, I do want to end with, you used a few words here and I can hear it in, in your language. So SOP, you said SOP mm-hmm. and what's happening in the field. And uh, A, I want to thank you for your service being an Army logistics officer. Thanks. But how has that really guided you to come up with, with workways? And, you know, I can hear it in your, your thought patterns and it's a beautiful thing to hear. So I'd love to hear how that influenced you. Yeah, um, it took me about five years in working in business before I realized that my experience was atypical, right? Because I, when I deployed and, you know, I worked with the 101st, you know, air assault division and I worked in some elite units and they trained in certain ways, just things became common. And I'm like, everybody does this because this is just what it means to be excellent, right? And clearly organizations want to be excellent. So they're doing it too. But then I noticed so many times, like it started onesie twosies and like, oh, well, that organization's messed up in this way. I say messed up. Every organization has something that it can work on to improve. Some are better than others, right? Um, And so it's like, well, that's that thing. That's that thing. And I learned over and over again that as much as business leaders really talk about standardization and having SOPs and having these types of things set up, they don't. It becomes more or less optional. So I've seen 
a lot of worlds. I've seen high performance teams working in really tight timelines and really, you know, terrible things just excel. Like, how are they doing that? And it's not just personal character, right? It's just that there's a structure in which we can excel. So we do. And then I've seen brilliant people with big hearts working in organizations, trying their damnedest and not excelling. But I'm like, they're working, this organization systems and their workways and what I now call it is working against them. And yet they often feel gaslit, you know, about what's going on and things like that. So it's coming through in the sense of, I have a lot of experience between that growing up in a military family of just knowing the value of thinking through how we're working together and things like that. So yeah, it comes through. I can't help it, especially when I'm talking about teams and organizations, because, you know, the other thing that happens is you understand in a military context that your team is your backbone right? It is about the team. I think in, if I got, you know, another one of those things to say is like, as organizations, I think we can do better to understand that the team is the unit that we need to be focused at, not the individual, right? Individuals make up team. I understand all of that, but when we really look at how we make more productive teams, I think we get a lot more leverage than if we just focus on making better managers or making better leaders or making better individual contributors. How do we make better teams? Well, you improve your workplace. I love that. Yeah, and in a way, and tell me if I'm using the right language, but you need to reimagine your current state standard operating procedure, finding new workways that enable the team to be happy, to be productive, to be connected, to be collaborative, and, and really focusing on the team itself and changing the way you work through workways. I love that. Absolutely. You know, we, one of our newest teammates um, has had a lot of other experience in other companies. And after sitting with us for like three months, he's like, you know, I have never worked in the team that talks as much about process as this team does, right? We are always examining how we're making plans, how we're meeting, like what Slack channels we need, what meeting cadences we need. Like it's every month or so we're reevaluating those things. And he's like, I've never seen that before. It takes a lot of time, but I like it. And yep. so it's just not only is it an SOP, that's the other thing people don't think about on the SOP, especially from a military spec perspective. These things are not set in stone. Right. Right. We're constantly asking, is this working for us given current conditions? And if not, let's not make us all fit the SOP. Let's make the SOP fit us and what we're trying to do. I love it. Well, Charlie, I feel like you dropped so much wisdom on us today through Workways, and we really look forward to your book. When, when, when can we ideally look forward to that? It's going to be coming out in 2023, so we're quite Great. a ways out yep. uh, from that. But you know, if you check out Productive Flourishing, there's Great. going to be more and more information rolling out because um, I'm not going to be writing this one like in silent and then come out with a book. There's going to be pieces on on productive flourishing um, that really help with people now because we need to help now, right? We, yep. we want to help now. And it's, I guess if I get to end where we started, it's, I would just want people thinking about the good trouble they can get in with their team so that next week or next month, isn't just the same old, same old that it's always been, but you can say, you know what, not only are we doing better work, we're working better together. Great. I love it, Charlie. Let's get in good trouble. Thank you so much. Thank you.